I've tried to be involved in a business where I didn't like get the space. I wasn't one of the people who would have used it. And I mean, that's hard from like a marketing and branding sales perspective to just jump in, learn a new business and try and just like apply your gut instinct to it. It didn't work. Like it, it crashed. Like I crashed right back out again, very fast. Hey Feasters, welcome to episode 10 of season 6 of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice. If you've heard the show, why not go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes or drop us a comment in on Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is Jack McDade. Jack is the founder and creator of Statomic, a CMS that makes building a website better and easier to manage. Jack started selling services and only stopped just a few years ago when the product side of the business became sustainable on its own. You may be thinking... A CMS? Is he nuts for going into that market? And in the show, he actually agrees with you. However, as a WordPress developer myself, I can firmly say that Statomic is much better than WordPress in many respects. I'm not going to go into that here, though. In this episode, we dive into his approach and strategy on pricing for products versus services, a mistake that Jack made on pricing Statomic that highlighted the way you use a product and the way you price the product and how they need to be aligned. And we talk about pricing parity. Just in case you are the type to not finish a podcast, well, you may be interested to stick around until the end. I'm just saying. I think you're going to love this conversation about pricing, especially if you're into retro video games, tech, and being a dad. So here's Jack and I. Hey, Feasters. Welcome back to another episode of Live in the Feast. I'm super excited to have here the creator of Statomic, Jack McDade. Welcome, Jack. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's just dive into it, right? Like, obviously, your branding, right? Because that's this is what I care about, right? Like, so how do <laughs> I guess it's really just you're an 80s kid, right? And like, I mean, every yeah. fonts, the, the style, the colors, even the 8-bit graphics, if you will, or 16-bit graphics, if you will, of what you do. Why? Like, why is that your calling card? Uh, well, you got to have one. I mean, if you don't stand out at all, like you're just part of the noise. Uh, but yeah, like 80s, 80s, early 90s a little bit is too, as far as the aesthetic goes. Once things started getting neon and it was, I mean, it was still fun for a while, right? Saved by the Bell and uh, Fresh Prince. I mean, you couldn't wear, well, I guess you could wear some of that stuff again now, just now. Uh, but I mean, I was a, I was a big nerd growing up. I've, you know, I've, played on the Apple computers and like taught myself basic on old machines and just there's like there's a simplicity to early tech that is I mean it's gone now right like with the way we build stuff and like our build tools and JavaScript and node and serverless like I mean it's complicated to keep up with it back then you flip the computer on you know whether it was a we're playing a video game or like just like 
coding something. It was simple. You just like type something and just like happened. And like nobody knew what was possible. It's a lot harder to imagine new tech now because there's so much. So yeah, just like that era in history is just, it was like all possibility and just like nerdy as hell. And I love it. I love that feeling of nostalgia and like that, that thing just being simple. Yeah, I love it too. I mean, I, I go back even further than you on my branding. Like I took, go yeah. back to like, you know, the fifties and even be beyond that, like, you know, I love that industrial kind of like, Hey, like anything's a possibility. And like, just that raw rawness, I yeah. mean, the Apollo code on GitHub. I mean, that to me, Oh yeah. That's awesome. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like that, that whole, like the fifties and sixties aesthetic, like Mad Men and like the moon race and all that stuff it has its own, like even more like quintessential, like classical sort of feel to it. I mean, in terms of branding, if you lean into anything hard enough, there's just so much to appreciate in it and uh, and borrow from and kind of evoke the emotions in the people who are interacting with it um, in a way, hopefully that that's intended. That's like tied to your brand somehow. Yeah. And I find it easier once you find that right? Like, okay, now, like I've had people say like, oh, I know that this is your post without even looking at it, like, you know, Mm. on a social, because I know the aesthetic of it. Right. And so like, similarly to you, like the first time I saw the stamp, I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I've always, like, I'm not a designer, right? Like I just don't do that. And like, even in my early days, like I tried like, Hey, I'm, I love the way that this interface for NBA Jam is. I wonder if I could retrofit that <laughs> into a website, yes. right? And so like, yeah, you know, like I, I didn't, it was always terrible. It always looked terrible. So the first time that I saw you do something similar in that nature, at least I was just like, and then I saw it again and, I, and then your name kept, I was like, oh, this guy's got it. Like he's What's this guy doing. <laughs> so yeah. So I commend you on it. I, I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Before we get into Statomic and that product and products mm-hmm. that come on top of that, did you do any services work beforehand? Oh yeah, for sure. Like we only kind of just stopped doing it fairly recently in the last like couple of years. Like I, I kind of started my career in the agency world doing web work for like bottom of the totem pole, doing work for giant companies like Chase Bank and, you know, Southwest, like doing email, HTML templates, like in 2004, like that's rough work. Like I don't, <laughs> you know, you, you got to work your way up, right? Um, you know, from there got into more like content driven stuff, like early CMS, like WordPress expression engine, and then finally went out on my own about Uh, at this point, maybe eight or nine years ago, did freelancing, then started, uh, made a couple of false starts trying to get like a little mini agency going like with different people. I've really found the sweet spot until I kind of anchored it off of a product. And so I uh, started Statomic in 2012. And I mean, it wasn't a full-time gig then, but it was, you know, some recurring revenue and we could do some services around it and start to kind of have this like one feeds the other feeds back into the work feeds back into the product sort of approach and sort of build it up from there. So yeah, I mean, still love designing and building websites, helping people out. Like, you know, I have a hard time saying no when there's something retro and eighties involved and someone wants my advice or my input or a little bit of, you know, pixel work or something like, all right, all right, all right. I'm in, I'm in. (laughs) Can't help it. Yeah. Awesome. So that was interesting that you mentioned that, like you were doing the client work and Statomic was kind of there. Was the client work essentially paying for the development of the product? Uh, not always directly. It sometimes like it would pay the bills so that I could, 
you know, put a little bit away and not take a project and work on Statomic. Sometimes they were one and the same. Like I'd take a project and like needed a feature that Statomic didn't have and was able to kind of justify building it more or less on the clock because they needed it and they were fine with it. But yeah, I mean, I never really like robbed Peter to pay Paul. I don't think that's the way to, to build a business. But whenever possible, I tried to get to kill two birds with one stone. Absolutely. I mean, if you can do that and everybody's fine with it and you're transparent about that, there's some real wins to be had there. Did you go get clients that you thought would be a good fit for the product? Like, so that you could essentially say, okay, look, I know what Statomic can do. I think this client would be an ideal client so that I could use that as the solution. I mean, in the early days, no, I was just kind of happy to get anything, right? Like you just try to get work. You're like, oh, they're going to give me 10 grand. Like, this is great. Uh, we have a kid on the way or whatever. And, uh, you know, now, yeah, I mean, I can go after folks or like if you try to grow the business and get more exposure, try and find someone in who could be like, a, I mean, I guess you'd call them like an influencer or someone who just has, has a big reach and like see if you can get them on Statomic. Yeah, I mean, you put the logo in the footer and they talk about it a little bit like that stuff helps marketing. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, like Justin Jackson's site mm-hmm. runs on Statomic and uh, I helped him get that up and running. And he I mean, he loves it. And he's been live streaming, building his own company site on Statomic, all of his own. That's huge for me. Like that's just free marketing and you know like those sort of things like i can't that doesn't scale i can't build if you're a big name you get work for free or cheap like that's that's like a weird way to grow a business mm-hmm. but in certain phases of growth like it definitely makes sense and it can make a big difference so yeah yeah so we talked about the services and products right mm-hmm one of the things I think a lot of people struggle with, at least as they start building their business and it's a couple of years in, they start to think about the product side of things. They're like, hey, I can build something that, and again, I hate this term, but passively make money, um, which yeah. is never the case. But it's not, it's not a real thing. I can't, no one I know actually has truly passive income. But exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I like to say leveraged, right? Because it's an asset that you can yeah. sell again and again and again. Yes. It's a very different mindset with products than there is with services, both from marketing and sales, delivery, all the rest of it. Yeah. How did you adjust your mindset from one to the other? That's a really good question. Um, I guess the, the, the approach that I took is on the product side, really just trying to speak to whoever my target audience was, like whether it was literally speak to them or write content that they're looking for and not just, uh, you know, I think people tend to look at a big player in the app space, like, I don't know, like a Dropbox or Instagram or Slack or something and just kind of do what they're doing, like whether lift their look, look their tone. And they're so big that they're speaking to like literally hundreds of different like audiences, right? Like if you kind of break it down into niches, you may only be able to speak to one niche, but you only need a couple hundred customers to make a living depending on the way you've got your product price, right? So if you can speak to exactly the person you're trying to reach, like literally your homepage is the answer to the question they're Googling for, that will give you a totally different experience Uh, compared to like a really broad net where you're trying to be something to everybody. So, I mean, it's okay to be like a hyper-focused product. Not that every niche can work, not that every product fits into a niche, but when you can. And that's what what I ended up doing is like, targeting freelancers and small couple person dev shops who are just building lots of websites for people. So if I could get 
one person who built a dozen websites a year, that's 12 licenses that I could sell over the course of that year versus one super company that would buy one, right? Mm -hmm. And so that approach made a lot more sense, kind of going bottom up. I'm not selling to, uh, you know, CEOs or CTOs. I'm selling to like the guy on the bottom of the totem pole, like cranking out sites, keeping the lights on, like, oh God, I can't build another web uh, WordPress site. Like this is painful, you know? And uh, hey, I've got something that may be better. Take a look. And if it is, sales. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. I mean, to your point there, I mean, it, so it is. It's like while the marketing and pricing, and we'll get that in a minute, but marketing, sales, and all the rest of it is different between services and products, mm -hmm. there's still a real, real understanding that you have to have and knowledge that you have to have about the customer or client. Yeah. I mean, that that's pivotal in order to do that. Um, it's what I talk a lot about on the show, especially when, you know, guests as well, they talk about it too, is that you have to understand the pain points. I mean, you mentioned it there, WordPress. I come from the WordPress space, but I also came from the Ruby on Rails space, Java development yeah. space. Like I looked at it as all of those tech stacks, if you will, as tools to help me build right. a solution for clients. And so, you know, while Magento was a behemoth and it was a problem for a lot of people and WooCommerce was a lot more simpler for some clients and things of that nature. So I swung that route. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I still work very heavily in the WooCommerce space, but in and amongst itself, you know, WordPress is not an ideal fit for a lot of people. And there are other options like Statomic and others. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, I always try to fit the, the tech into the business and not the other way around. Right. And so yes. mm -hmm. to hear you say pretty much the same thing, you know that, hey, this is the sweet spot. This is where the product exists. And if I can help solve a problem, then they're sales, right? Right, exactly. And I've, on the flip side, I've tried to be involved in, you know, partnering in a business where I didn't like get the space. I wasn't one of the people who would have used it. And I mean, that's hard from like a marketing and branding sales perspective to just jump in, learn a new business and try and just like apply your gut instinct to it. It didn't work. Like it, it crashed. Like I crashed right back out again, very fast. And so, you know, I know who my, my people are, the problems I've literally been in myself. Like how do you manage 30 or 40 different client websites when they're all trying to get a hold of you and like they're making changes in production. I'm like, stop making, like, stop. I got to turn the database off so I could get it so I could like try and work on it locally, you know, like those problems. So I built a product to solve that. And like that worked for me. Um, and I decide like, I'm going to stay in my space more or less. And it's a like developers, that is a big audience. There's a lot of us. And so if I can build something that helps them, great. Jack highlights one mistake he's made, and he's going to dive into another here in a moment. But he talks about something we hear a lot from other co-hosts on the show, and that's knowing who your ideal customer is. It's really such a critical component to a sustainable and profitable business. So important that it's what the foundation of Feast is built on. Inside of Feast, you'll have access to everything you need to build your ideal client not solely based on demographics, but based on you, your personality, skills, and the potential market that awaits you as their go-to person. 
you want worksheets, exercises, and the ability to create that ideal client effectively so that you can then go ahead and be their go-to resource and build a business that's targeted to help that specific client, head over to feastcourse.com today. As a member, you'll get the processes, the templates, not only to figure out who your ideal client is and the services that you can provide to them, you'll also learn how to figure out how to price. That's why I wanna invite you to check out Feast. By using the code STATAMIC, you can get your first month for only $20. Feast is the community and resource hub for developers and designers ready to get off that project searching hamster wheel and actually run the business that you set out to build. Feast helps position you in the market with what you do who you help and build the processes and systems for client management, sales, marketing, delivery, and of course, pricing. Your business isn't the same as everyone else's. And it's essential for me to meet you where you are and make sure that you are getting the exact tools so that you don't get lost in the shuffle. The moment you sign up for Feast, we're going to have a chat one-on-one so that I can create a custom syllabus of resources that are within Feast to meet you where you are. If you want to stop chasing down that next project all the time so that you can start living your life, go to feastcourse.com today and use the code STATAMIC at checkout and get your first month for $20. So before we were talking, before we started recording, rather, uh, we were talking and mentioned something which intrigued me. You mentioned something about mistakes that you made in pricing. Would you mind sharing some of those? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, the way Statimic is priced now, both in the beginning and now, but for a short period, it wasn't this way, uh, is a per site license. So uh, I think... Wow. I love owning my my own software. I miss the days when I could buy Photoshop and it would be in a box and a stack of CDs and it like sat there. It was like a cool looking box and it was on my desk. I'm like, yeah, that was like 600 bucks, but it's mine forever. Like I don't, there's so few software I actually own now forever. And so call me altruistic or whatever, but I think you buy the license of Statomic, you should be able to own it. And that's, that's how I wanted to position it. So for for your site, you buy a license, you can run it on that site forever. There's no like recurring, you know, upkeep or, or anything like that. There's no like recurring pricing. Uh, but for a little while, we experimented with Statomic Unlimited. So we had a monthly subscription where as long as you were paying for the subscription, you could build as many sites as you wanted. You didn't have to worry about having a license for a site. And it seemed great because we now had guaranteed recurring revenue, right? So we're not waiting for someone to build a new site and then buy a license. Uh, they're just, you know, they build whatever they want. But what would happen is I don't know if it was a communication problem on our side or just kind of people trying to take advantage of the way validation worked and all of that. Just people would turn it on, they would turn it off, they would turn it on, they would build a bunch of sites, they would turn it off. Uh, they would try to like circumvent it, like the way um, the tiers were based on the number of developers. It was like one to two developers in your company. It was, I don't know, a hundred bucks a month. And then three to five developers, it was 200 bucks a month. Like, and it scaled that way. 
Like, well, what if we have one developer and like one freelancer? Does the freelancer count? And so I'm answering all these questions like, what is a developer? Like, well, we don't have any developers, so is it free? Like, well, how are you gonna use it? I don't know, we'll just like Google and try it ourselves. Well, you're the developer, right? So like, it was over and over again, all these questions and uh, our, our revenues kept going down because some of the people who would have happily paid $200 for the license because they know it goes right back in the product. It's the only way we make money. Mm-hmm. Makes the product better. They like the product. In a $30,000 site project, like 200 bucks, you don't even notice it. Even on a $1,000 one, if it lets you build it five times faster than the next platform, you can build five times as many websites. It still makes sense, right? So that's, I mean, that's the idea. And so those people who are would have happily paid or passed the cost along. We're like, well, I guess this is what they want. They want the reoccurring revenue, so we'll sign up. And yeah, I mean, we like our revenue kind of went in half, and that was like was not enough to run the business. So now we're doing like con like projects on the side to like <laughs> building sites for our customers, and then like trying to and like we've already been here before. I thought we got past this, so we had to shut it down. And, you know, we learned that the way you use the product and the way you charge for the product need to be in line. And that just there was this friction point where, you know, they were kind of incentivized to like defeat the system and it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I know and you mentioned Justin before on his show, Build, Build Your SaaS, mm-hmm. you know, him and John talked about what metric they're defining as essentially the key metric that's going to help their customers essentially grow their podcasts, right? On Transistor. Right. You know, they, they've been wrestling around with that pricing. Like, and you know, it sounds like you went through something of a similar phase in the business. And so now how does it look different? Like what specifically are we doing now or how is it working, working out? Yeah, both. It is both. like, it is a one price now. It's just 200 bucks per site. That's it. And it's working really well. Like we've got back all that business we lost and then some we've doubled in the last year and things are going really well. Um, Could there be another way to do it better? Probably, sure. But maybe not without building yet another side of the business, right? Like sure, we could could have a hosted solution, but then you're building a hosted solution. Now we have two apps. There's a product and the app. And I, I want to be incentivized to work on the thing that we're selling. Like, I don't want to take money from this column and then move it over here, right? Pay for, like, pay for hosting so we can work on the product. No, I want, to, I want to sell the product so I can work on the product so I can sell the product so I can work on the product. And ideally, that would be the best way to work, right? Like if, if all of the news sites, you just paid for the news, they wrote the news, you paid for the news and they wrote you some news. Like I feel like that they'd be better sites instead of this battle we have now with like, well, I don't want to pay for the news. So now we deal with like, you know, running the gauntlet of pop-ups and everything else. You know, doesn't always work for your audience, but so far it is for us. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, for me, to your point, I'm very much the same. Like if I see a product, if it's a trial, whether it's free, whether it's a paid and it's useful to me, Mm -hmm. I want to know that the company that's backing that thing, if I invest in it, it's going to reinvest it back in build that product even better. Right. And so I have no problem, you know, look, I have a podcast, this podcast, it's hosted on transistor because I know, Mm -hmm. you know, I have a relationship with Justin. Um, and while Libsyn or any of these other platforms out there may or may not have a better platform, uh, Justin, I know what, know him. 
and I know what he's about in his business. And so I know that they're going to put that money back in. And, and that for me is just as a customer, it makes me feel better, right? It makes me yeah. feel safer too. It, I, you know, I'm just going to pull the rug out from under me and I don't going to be hanging there for, especially in the software game. Like, all right, is this software going to be updated anytime in this decade? You know, like, or are they doing this? Yeah. stuff, Right. So I get it. I appreciate that. So I saw something a long time ago, or maybe not so long, but months ago, where you talked about, and there was this conversation for a while, it seemed, on Twitter, various different channels, various different people. And for whatever reason, it was a lot of people that I was following or having okay. with, but in different columns, like nobody was crossing over. Uh, but it was about uh, purchasing parity, like across the- Oh, planet. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah. Can you speak a little bit more on your philosophy and your take on that? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the whole idea of the purchasing parity or purchasing power parity is that you sell something in the US dollar, but that dollar doesn't go the same distance in all other countries. Right. So, in the Philippines, it can go a whole lot further, or like, or the, the local currency doesn't match up to a dollar based on you know how much you work and it's tricky especially in 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 the software world because we you know i'm i live in new york state which is a super expensive state to live in i'm not in the city but even still it trickles upstate trust me (laughs) and trickles downstate too a long island (laughs) yeah absolutely yes uh you know it's an expensive state to you know it's to run an american company is not a cheap thing there's a lot of paperwork and taxes Uh, although i've feel like I'd rather do that than the UK with all of the laws lately, but it's a complicated, expensive thing to do, but it's at the same time to charge only rates that can be afforded by other people in the same situation cuts out a large chunk of the world who might be able to use your product, right? So $200, sure. I mean, it's not a big deal to like a fair amount of us in the US who are working, you know, they charge $100 an hour, $200 an hour, $50,000 projects. Sure. Great. But what about the people in like India and the Philippines and like Taiwan and Mexico and South America where, you know, maybe rent is a hundred bucks, rent is $200. I get these emails like this costs more than two months of rent. Is there anything you can do? And so I, you know, you do some research and you figure out the best way to price that out. And I built a little calculator. It's based off the Big Mac index, which is done by the economist, I believe. And it's what does a Big Mac cost around the world? Like it's, I don't know what it is, like $4 in the US, three fifty dollars or something. Uh, you know, it's like $7 in Switzerland because like our our cows are really important and they're grass fed and we don't touch them. And, you know, and then you can't get one in India. So, I mean, it's not exactly like a perfect uh, analog, but it does work pretty well. So if you kind of run the price of your product through the calculator and it comes out the other end, like this is what it would cost them in the Philippines. What if you charged this other price and it would feel about the same? So like, what is $200 feel like when you make eight grand a year? All right, well, maybe that's 11 bucks. If you, if I'm fine letting them have it for 11 bucks, like I'm going to give them the discount and you know, just about anybody who asks for it, I'll kind of go out of my way to like make it work for them for whatever country. It's a hard thing to automate Mm -hmm. because it's not perfect. Right. And it can definitely be exploited. And how do you validate that they're from that country? And this is whole thing. So right now I just do it on a, like a personal basis and I just make them a coupon code and I'll just, I'll do that for as long as I possibly can. And until there's maybe some better way to automate that. Maybe somebody will solve that. Like maybe Google. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Probably not. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I commend you for that. And I respect you for the, doing that because a lot of people don't. 
a lot of companies don't. They're just like, that's the price. You know, I don't, Mm -hmm. I can't do anything for you. I I apologize for that. Um, Likewise, I've done similar things with my coaching program where Mm -hmm. folks from the Philippines that have been interested and they've emailed me and said like, Hey, I can't afford one hour of your coaching or your coaching program or whatever. Um, So I, you know, scholarship it, you know, basically create a coupon code and figure out yeah. how it works. Um, we'll definitely link up the calculator in the show notes, obviously, but yeah, it brings a perspective to you, especially if you're living in the U S or, you know, Europe or, you know, somewhere yeah. where you almost take it for granted that you're going to get like a $10,000 or 10,000 pound project and $200 is a drop in the bucket because it's just that $200 saves you 10 hours of work. You're of course going to invest in that. And so it puts things in perspective. I think it's nice if in your case, it's even trickier because you are directly trading your time for dollars, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, With a software product, if you don't ask us a question, right? If you don't take away our time or, you know, with support questions, uh, you didn't actually cost us anything. Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, some server paying, you know, some like database rows or whatever, um, but not a big deal. But if you ask us a lot of questions and we spend hours and hours, like for that $11 or $50 or whatever it is, you never know exactly how it's going to play out. Um, but I think in our, our case, what I often try to say is like, all right, so we'll give this to you at your you know PPP rate. In return, if you could help out other people in your country, you know, like whether on the forums or in our server or in our Discord chat, you know, we have different rooms for different languages. That's a way that they can kind of offset that effect on our time because... You know, our time is U.S. dollars, you know, American time, American costs, which you got to capitalize on if they can help each other, then we're even able to offer more of those discounts. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if there's a way to let that side of it scale on its own, that's even better. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they they were happy to do that. Like, hey, I can answer oh, yeah. my language, you know, probably better than you. You're probably in Google Translate or whatever. That's exactly what's happening, you know, like. I can't tell by looking at Russian if it's spam or not. It you know, I I'm like I don't know what's gonna happen, and you've been like, oh, it's a legitimate question. Okay, fantastic. Um, <laughs> right. Actually, it's a very good question. It's it's so bizarre sometimes what happens in this world. Yeah, and to your point too. I mean, there's other ways in which you know you have videos to support. Mm-hmm. You have knowledge base. You have Google and Stack Overflow to answer some questions and things of that nature. Yeah, while it is my time. A lot of times, you know, I, I'm again of the mindset of like, hey, uh, I'm just trying to do good and help people where I can when I couldn't get help from other people. Absolutely. I'll do it for as long as I possibly can. Um, so awesome. Same here. Uh, so what I like to ask everybody is, is take a step back. What has been your defining moment in life so far? Oh, I think definitely being a dad. I mean, business is great, but my family life is the most important thing to me. And it's probably a common answer. At least I hope it's a common answer for anyone who has kids. But even more recently, I've if, if you're anything like me, reading a lot of business books and you're trying to keep up on whatever Seth Godin and whoever else is writing, I always am applying that information to how I can make my business better. But more recently, I've been trying to reread the same content, but think about it in terms of my family and my kids. Does this information like help me be a better dad? Is there anything that I can take from this about how to teach my kids better or how to be more involved and more present and focused and debugging my family or whatever, right? And so it's been interesting. It doesn't always apply, 
but sometimes it does. And yeah, I mean, that moment becoming a dad has been like the biggest life change and I love it. Like we homeschool our kids, you know, I work from home where I'm around all the time and I could not imagine being away for them for more than a couple of days. You know, like you try, I hate traveling, right. even though I like, I like the physical act of traveling. I just wish my family was with me the whole time. That's definitely been the biggest change in my life. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Likewise here. Like I'm now yeah. I have two kids under the age of three. So our house is constant flux of chaos, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, same with me. And, and it was funny too, that I don't know if this happened to you as well, but you know, running a business when my first son was born, it was like a, it was like a point at which like there was like this hyper focus that happened because I wanted to spend time with him. But like, I thought I was focused before. And I was like, all of a sudden now everything I do has to get done. has to, I don't care about anything else. They don't get distracted, which I didn't yeah. get distracted in the first place before, but it was like, yeah, like the luxury of dinking around on, on Twitter or Facebook or Reddit. Like, I don't like, that's not going to help my family out. That's not going to help my business out. Like, I don't have the luxury of doing that Yeah, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and you know, not to get too far off on a tangent, but I, Similarly, I've been starting to listen to a lot of dad podcasts and reading mm. dad books. You know, one thing that I just like, this is podcast front row dads. And it's really, um, the host is really about, you know, just being intentional about being present with their kids and family and raising kids to be good adults and good contributors to society and all that other stuff. And he had a guest on. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago about Daddy Saturdays, which is a whole YouTube channel. And I had no idea that this thing existed. Nice. Like all of these things. But likewise, they apply what they do in their business life to their family life and try to figure out the best way, best foot forward. Right. And we're all trying to figure this out together. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, we're like in an uncharted territory as a society. Like we've never, I mean, have, has there ever been this many people who work from home before that wasn't a farm, right? I mean, besides right. the family right. farm where you had to have 14 kids cause you couldn't afford to hire anybody. Um, you know, it's a, it's a different world. And you know, what, I was homeschooled growing up, but it was not cool then. Like it was very much like, Oh, you're, um, you're one of those families, you know, like, Oh yeah, our, our clothes are totally made out of the drapes, just like sound of music. Um, but now it's like, there's almost, and I almost don't like this. There's almost this feeling like, wait, you don't homeschool. Do you not love your children? <laughs> um, which is ridiculous. And you, things kind of swing so far the other way sometimes. But yeah, we're just trying to do the best we can. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, it, like, even less. So, I mean, we asked the doctor the other day, like both my wife and I, we're, we work from home. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a split schedule. I basically do lunchtime and all the rest of it there. And she does the morning and early afternoon or whatever. And, but like we're sitting in front of screens. So we're kind of like restricting his screen time. Like, you know, he's two and a half now. Yeah. There's no reason for him to sit in front of an iPad or anything like that. And even TV, totally, you know, and so especially when we're engaging with him. So like we asked the doctor, when can we introduce a screen to him? Cause we don't want to like stunt him, but you know, like, and you know, they're going to have to use that screen, right? Exactly. Unless like the zombie apocalypse happens, in which case, you know, that family member you're going to spend time with. Um, <laughs> if that, unless that happens they're you're going to have to be proficient and yeah, it's a tough, it's a totally, it's a tough balance. It's a weird thing. Like I didn't have that. Like when I was a kid, like it's just a different no. and that's only a generation behind, like, right. And so like, yeah. but kudos to Apple. Like whatever they did with the iOS, like the other night, like I, you know, I installed new Hue lights in our living room 
And, you know, it's the Hue app is nice and simple. It's, you know, it's just whatever colors you want and you just pick the scene or whatever. He never saw it before, but yet he still knew to push up and down and for scroll. I'm like, where did you learn this? Yep. Like you've never have an ipad yeah it's like instinct you know it's crazy yeah you, you kind of take it for granted because we've been using this tech for like a decade now right since like the first iphone or whatever but they i mean they if you read their design guidelines right the human interface design guidelines the hig or whatever they're not kidding like it is like humans just like intuitively know how to use it like you hand it to a two-year-old a one-year-old within 30 seconds they're swiping and opening apps and closing them again like they're not even thinking about it no it's crazy it was a lot harder than that to use like my uncle's apple 2b like there was a couple more steps to <laughs> actually getting anywhere yeah my vic 20 that i used to, the whole thing oh yeah board. like you know oh i got cartridges i mean forget it that was not yeah i had to type in the commands launch voodoo castle like then the game oh yeah i mean you get the magazines in the mail and you're like typing in basic like 10 space 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 <laughs> and you're like go to like you know you're like i'm gonna type in my game so i can play this thing yeah, yeah. i don't even know what it is yet yeah. there there is that exploration part of it i kind of miss I and mean, that's what i love like why i just keep coming back to like the 80s and the 90s was it was we just didn't even know what was possible yet and you're still figuring it out and i i hope i can find ways to have those experiences for my kids because if their first introduction to coding is like getting webpack running like oh my god there's no way they're gonna want to do it <laughs> like there's a couple of steps that come before that but sometimes docs won't they'll lie to you and they're like it's super easy just like run this new command like no it's way harder than that <laughs> So what's up next for you in the next six, 12 months? Yeah, um, I'm working pretty hard on Statomic version three, which is, uh, you know, it's a pretty big evolutionary jump in terms of like what our platform will be capable of. And uh, really excited about that. If you're a big into Laravel, it'll be a Laravel package you can install into existing apps. So it could kind of be like a bolt on CMS without having to run like side by side. You know, a lot of times now you have an app and then we also have a marketing site and a blog. And so sometimes you got like three different apps, like WordPress is running the blog and you've got static stuff. Like you might be able to just blend all that right into one, you know, one app, which is great. There's so many possibilities that opens up. So we're working hard on that. Uh, and other than that, literally just just growing this business, seeing where it goes. Like I'm I'm hardcore into bringing Statomic uh, into the future and whatever that means, like, you know, updating the brand and getting on the conference circuit and all that kind of stuff. It is. There's a lot to do, especially like post launch. Right now, it's kind of a little heads down, focused, writing the code, getting the stuff done. But it's going to be a busy year for sure. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, sounds great. I mean, for me, I'm always about the tool. And as long as the tool is helpful, yeah. go check out Statomic. It's a great platform, great piece of software that's going to help you save a boatload of time. I mean, bottom line. <laughs> Um, why reinvent the wheel Yeah, and why get bogged down with a whole bunch of other stuff that you need to patch together that is all in one anyway, right? You have this here. Yeah. So. And don't build your own CMS. Like I, it's not that I'm, a, I'm not really afraid of a competition anymore. There's so many, just save yourself the heartache. It is a hard, hard thing to build. It took six years to make it a profitable business. So if you're, <laughs> if you're thinking about starting a business and you're like, oh, CMS sounds easy. I mean, good luck, but try, try, try something else first. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, and to be honest with you, and like I said, I came from the Ruby on rails and I used to just roll my own. 
like for clients, like, oh, they want to manage their website. All right, I'll just build a CMS, a quick one, right? And it yeah. got to a point where I was like, all right, this client came back to me from six months ago. So, okay, well, they're all outdated at this point. And yeah. And those, those home roll, those like home rolled CMSs, while they, they work for the site, they don't survive a redesign. No. Right. And that what's, that's one of the biggest problems is that you, you want a CMS that can survive a redesign, like your content, you don't want to lose your content for SEO reasons, for everything else. And the amount of work that you've put into that, assuming you've put work into that side note, you should put work into your content. Um, assuming you've done that work, you want it to survive redesigns and keep continuing on and on. And so you can just throw away your HTML and rewrite your front end layer and just pull your content back into a new site. And I mean, that should be the way we do things. We should stop throwing everything out every time. We're just killing time. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so Jack, where can folks reach out and say thanks? Oh yeah, I, I'm still kind of hopelessly addicted to Twitter. I try not to read everything. I have a lot of mute filters. I hope that's okay. Don't be offended by that. Uh, I just, I miss the old days of Twitter. Yeah. So twitter.com slash Jack McDade or, uh, you can shout at jackmcdade.com. That's like my open email address and, uh, yeah, you can reach me there. That's it. Those two places. That's fine. That's enough. And statomic.com and statomic.com. Yeah. Check it out. Use it if you need it. If not, appreciate how much neon pink and purple there is, right? <laughs> yeah. If you haven't already, check out his design aesthetic just from his website and all that. Like Lara Khan's website, like all of the different websites he does. I mean, if you're into 8-bit, 16-bit and 80s video game stuff, that's your, that's your jam right there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And for anyone listening to this point in the show, uh, which if you are, thank you for that. I know Jack thanks you for that. Thank you. I would love to be able to help you and support Jack at the same time. So if you write a review on this show and screenshot the review and send it to me and mention Jack, for the first two people that do this, I will buy you a single site license of Statomic. Nice. So if this is of interest to you and you want to try it out and test it out, go ahead and do that. For the first two people that do that, uh, I'll be happy to do that. So Jack, thank you for your time today. I do appreciate it. And let's stay in touch. My pleasure. Absolutely. And everyone out there, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I could speak for both Jack and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway you got from this episode. It's super simple, actually. In the podcast app of your choice, presumably the one that you are listening to right now, drop in a comment or a review or go ahead and share it in a tweet and tag me at res and also don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to listen in next week when we'll be back with more cohen of FlixFrame. we're going to talk about how being a designer in today's market is much different than five or ten years ago and how that shift has played into the success for those that have adapted until then it's your time to live in the feast mm-hmm.